This is not your usual law firm podcast. It's not about analyzing new law, old law, or in the works law. In this podcast, we aim to challenge the status quo, provoke thought, and uncover new ways of thinking. We're about talking to leaders of industry on how they've tackled problems, problems you may have in common, and sharing the solution. We want organizations to think differently, act with agility, and hold back preconceived ideas to entertain a new one. Welcome to Hold That Thought. Directors are increasingly expected to pay attention and act on foreseeable risks. But without a crystal ball, how do directors and boards do this? When change does come, and it will, how do you respond? Even a well-prepared board will face challenges it did not expect. In this episode, Denton's chair and partner Hayden Wilson talks to Kirsten Patterson on the big challenges for boards in dealing with an unexpected event and her best piece of advice to stop the ship sinking in a crisis. Well, kia ora everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Hayden Wilson, Chair and Partner at Dentons. One constant for this world in the past few years has been uncertainty and change. Every passing month seems to bring more upheaval and uncertainty to the business world. Even the big picture threats we know about, climate change and adaptation to climate change, technological disruption and a rebalancing of the work environment are themselves uncertain as to how, when and where they will arrive. And those are just the known unknowns, the things that are already on the, on the radar. For boards, the unexpected events are even more challenging. The things we haven't even yet thought about, they may bring the largest disruptions to uh, our environments, our organisations over the coming years. For a board, they stand to demand the most adaptation and the most agility. Joining me today is Kirsten Patterson, KP, uh, Chief Executive of the Institute of Directors. She's a qualified lawyer. She's a distinguished fellow of the Human Resources Institute of New Zealand, the chair of the Global Network of Directors Institutes, and a member of the New Zealand External Reporting Advisory Panel. She serves on the boards of the mental health charity Voices of Hope, She's chair of the Brian Pico Ethical Leadership Advisory Board at Victoria University in Wellington, and she's an ambassador uh, for the Wellington Women's Homeless Trust. Kia ora KP, welcome. Thank you. Kia ora everyone. It's great to catch up. KP, you've got extensive experience as a director. What are you, just as a headline, what are the big challenges for boards when they are faced with an unexpected event, something that they haven't thought about uh, it arrives, it might be something confined to their company or organisation, or it might be something like we all felt a few years ago as COVID arrived in New Zealand. <laughs> what are the big headline challenges for boards? Well, the first thing is when we think about what those headline challenges are, it's almost impossible to give you a list of what they will be, right? The, the range of issues that directors now have to be across and the challenges and risks that are facing our organisations are just so immense, as you sort of noted, that sort of environment, everything from could be cyber, it could be a climate risk, it you know, could be uh, an issue around how we had to pivot, remember those words, around issues related to COVID. So that's our first challenge, because when you've got that as a positioning, that everything's a risk, and there's so much coming at you, it really makes it difficult for organisations and boards to set really nice crisis response plans and risk management strategies that address all of that. 
So at its core, the big things, those really top line issues in terms of how we respond, the big issue is the speed and the agility. So, you know, it used to be if we just think about things like media, for example, we'd think about how we'd respond to that in a crisis. And we'd have sort of a 24-hour news cycle to be thinking about. We'd be thinking about the newspaper the next day. We don't have time for that anymore. Social media's got it out probably before we even know on the board that there's even a crisis happening if it's something in a brand or reputation space. So for boards, it's the agility, it's the interconnectedness of all those risks, and it's the speed with which they've got to respond now. Mm. I come into, and with my lawyer hat on, I come into a lot of boards who are in crisis because that's what they bring us in for. And in my experience, you can usually, in the first 10 or 15 minutes, you get a feel for how this is going to go, whether this is a board that is going to react well or it's going to spiral. You can hear them going round and round and round in circles and failing to make a decision. What do you think distinguishes a board that's well-equipped to respond to something they weren't expecting with one that isn't? Yeah, so I think there's two different aspects to it. There's one in terms of the board makeup itself, you know, and the way that they kind of operate. How agile are they? How do they deal with ambiguity? How do they make decisions under pressure? How well have they worked on some of those trust issues? How have they dealt with delegations at the CEO? We can dig into some of those kind of issues, but at its core, you see that play out in those interpersonal skills, as you noticed, you know, around those board environments and how they're making decisions under stress. And then there's some of those structural things. How well have they thought about those sort of, you know, black swans, white rhinos, however we kind of describe those kind of challenges or those unknown events that might come at us? And have they put a bit of thought into some of those issues? How do they cope under stress? Have they practiced some of that? Do they know who to call? Do they have some of those relationships and those things in place? Some of those things are about, you know, the interpersonal, and then some of them are structural. Have they put the, you know, the thought into those things in advance? That way, if you've got those two things combined, you don't necessarily need to know the answer to that particular crisis issue. But if you've got a good response about how you deal with crisis issues generally, you'll be adaptable enough to be able to apply that to different circumstances. But if you've been really linear and you've only practiced things in a particular line and haven't thought about the overall way that they connect, then you're potentially going to get caught on the short. And do you think there's a particular skill or set of skills that goes into being able to respond more effectively in a governance sense? You know, I did a presentation a couple of weeks ago on a cyber incident that involved a government department. And one of the in-house lawyers was talking about some of the senior people sort of dropping into action man or action hero response (laughs) and wanting to be the people that were seen to make sure that something was done. But that's not helpful. But neither is is the person who sits back and is, is kind of overwhelmed and ends up being indecisive. What's the skills that board members board chair should be looking for and and board members or board members should be looking to develop themselves? So the first thing is the diversity around the board. By definition, the reason we have a board is because we recognise that no one individual is going to have all of the necessary skills that we're going to need for the organisation to be able to be successful and address all of its risks and opportunities. 
because if we didn't need that diversity, then we'd just recruit a really good CEO and they'd just be in charge and we'd leave them to it. But we know that no one CEO has all of those skills and there does need to be some overview, some holding to account, all of those issues. And so by definition, the board is there to bring that diverse perspectives across different industries, across different perspectives, uh, with all of their lived experience and those things coming to the board table. And then what's really important is their ability to unlock those pieces, because that's where you're going to get the real value in a crisis situation of the differing perspectives and views um, and sort of being able to share those perspectives in a way that's going to benefit the organisation. It's kind of the and conversation and the connection conversation about ACE and, and here's the bit that we kind of connect with, or this is what it could mean for that. So to do that, at its core again, it comes down to individuals being incredibly self-aware about how they turn up in the boardroom and the impact that they're having on other board members around them. How do they contribute to that conversation? How are others responding? And in those crisis situations, what's our role here? Do we lean forward? Do we lean back? Is management needing some help here? Or actually is the best thing for us is to be stepping back and just giving them some space? It's quite a critical role for, for if we kind of were in the middle of Rugby World Cup season at the moment when we're having this conversation. It's quite critical that boards understand that they're not the players on the field. They are the coach. So, you know, they're up in the box. They provide, put the team together, give some guidance, come in at half time, but it's not their role to be down sort of playing the ball and, and you know, trying to do the battle in, in, on the field. So board members need to be thinking about how do I front up in these situations? But also, you know, how do I build trust in the management team and so that they're confident that, you know, we've got your back, we're here to support you, but we're here to also provide you some guidance and direction when you need it. Mm. That role clarity is so, so important, right? Because you can't plan for the the what, you can plan for the how. Yeah. Um, and what do you see as the key role of a, an individual board member first and then let's just say the chair of the board second what is that key role that they need to be looking, the balance that they need, need to be looking to strike? Yeah, so individual board members need to be really sure about what the board's approach is, right? So the last thing that you need is somebody self-selecting to come off the bench to try and take the field, right? And say, well, I, you know, I, I know the answer to this or I don't have confidence in you, leave it to me, I'll fix it up. Or, you know, that's the last thing you need under crisis conditions. So each individual board member needs to be really clear about the role that they play. Some will play different roles. For example, if you're the chair of the Audit and Risk Committee, then you may well be playing quite a different role in some specific crisis responses. Or if there's a specific committee that's been set up to be able to respond to an issue like a cyber attack or other sort of crisis issues that come through, you chair of the Health and Safety Committee. It'll be quite different if it's a major health and safety event or something relating to, you know, buildings or an earthquake or those types of issues. So knowing your particular role and how you play into that, you know, what do you do, as you said, in terms of the, the crisis responses is really important. And the other thing, that, and that's really important, is then building the relationship of trust with your colleagues on, on the board, knowing when to step back and know that the others have actually got, have got that role. And then the chair role, that is the most critical role in terms of how well governance is going to run in an organisation. Not only is it the key relationship between management and the board, uh, but it also sets that tone around the board table and, and you know, ensures that 
those voices that are too loud, you know, made sure that they're, they're not dominating. It's those bringing out those voices who need to be heard. So that chair role under crisis conditions is really important because it helps build trust in management, empowers the CEO to get on with dealing with the issues as they need to be, but is then holding that trust with the board, updating them and that their communication processes is really critical. And we've talked about diversity and its role in, in mm. ensuring adaptability. How does a, a board as a whole develop, take that, uh, that the diversity that they hopefully have and develop it into agility of decision-making? But they've got to practice it, right? You've To have agility in decision-making, you've got to have some tricky conversations and you've got to do that in a way that's showing where the connection points of those conversations are. If you're only looking at things in linear processes or in very discrete, tidy little boxes, then you're really going to struggle. And if I think about our traditional risk management frameworks, we've kind of done that often. We've put things into little boxes uh, in different categories without actually thinking about the connectedness of all of those issues. I mean, like the cyber example that we talked about just briefly before, while cyber, you know, as an example, it might take out all of your payment systems. It might take out, you might have a privacy issue that's going to come off the back of it because there might be a data breach in relation to that. You're definitely going to have a brand impact issue because, you know, cyber is going to end up being a public issue. You're going to have to declare that to your customers. You've got a trust and confidence issue with your customers. So, you know, so there's a real range of types of issues depending upon the nature. It could be a safety issue in terms of the attack that it might mean and people not be able to get into systems or uh, some, you know, some of the material or data that's been breached as, as part of cyber. So it's not just one system or one kind of box anymore. And to build that sort of muscle memory and that agility on your board, you need to be able to bounce between those boxes. And if you're not doing that in your planning or in your conversations in the board, uh, then you're not going to have that muscle memory when you're going to need it. So when papers or issues are coming up to the board, we need to be asking ourselves, what might this mean for this particular area? If this was to happen, how could this occur? And you know, one of the um, great conversations that I've seen in smaller board organisations where they don't have a lot of the same strong management structures is just a simple question about what could get our organisation on the front page of the New Zealand Herald? And when you ask yourself that question, all of a sudden you come out with a long list of things. Could be everything from sexual harassment. It could be everything to, you know, a fraud attack. It could be a cyber attack. And when you think about things outside your traditional risk boxes and you start thinking about all these different kind of risk areas, then you start to see the connectedness between those issues. Take them up. Okay, all of those things connect to the way we manage our people. What are we doing in that space? And you start to get a little bit more of that agility. Yeah, and that, it, it seems to me that that's where a lot of the traditional risk registers have gone wrong, right? I see a lot of risk registers in my job, and so many of them have now been reduced to really micro-level tactical responses that don't, to me, inform a board in any particular way. And they also tend to have short horizons. They're mm. looking at, at the things that might go wrong this week or this month, and they don't properly grapple with the big strategic challenges that might present risks in, in the future. I wonder whether you've seen sort of any examples of a different way of approaching that sort of risk register idea to keep a board focused on 
not just what are our immediate challenges, but what are the emerging threats? What are the things, you know, maybe we don't know where this is coming from, and cyber is a good example, right? Maybe we don't know the exact nature of the attack. But as time goes by, the chances of having a cyber attack of some description approach 100%. So, <laughs> yep. you know, how do you, have you seen any examples of, of things that trigger those discussions, those productive discussions, so that boards can, can build that muscle memory? Yeah, one of the big ways to do that is through assessment of systemic risk. So taking it up to a much broader level. So absolutely, we need to have some of those risk boxes completed. Uh, because you know management will deal with those and there are some operational ways that we need to make sure that we've kind of addressed those things and we've got some mitigations and other things in place. But talking about systemic risk about and where those connection points are will drive a different conversation in the organisation. What are the risks to your business model, for example? You know, it's an overused example, but the taxi industry with Uber, disintermediation, for example, when we've because it's an overused example, I don't think we reflect on what that business risk or challenge and change actually was. We think it was an app coming in over the top of taxi companies when actually it was about disintermediation. Now, you might go, well, I'm not a taxi company, but you are an organisation probably who's got consumers who could come in and disrupt between you and your consumers. So it might be another organisation and we're starting to see some disintermediation, other examples across. Netflix, for example, in terms of the way they've disintermediated and subscription services and the rise of those subscription services in terms of, you know, mainstream media and, you know, all of the, the entertainment industry that's been impacted as a result of that. So thinking about systemic risk and the point you raised about emerging risk is really critical as well. Spending some time to be thinking about the emerging risks and the issues and trends on the outside. You would wholly and fully expect that management's going to have the core main risk areas covered, where the board's going to be providing some value is testing some of those core areas and taking them a little bit deeper, but particularly looking out on the edges for risk areas. So that's where I think it's, you know, the, the real value of board members across multiple boards is asking them what are they seeing in other industries? What are they seeing across their other organisations? And, you know, doing that kind of full scanning out across from all of the material that they're reading and seeing about what that sort of emerging trend could be and then giving yourself some space to think well what could that mean for us again for smaller organizations it might be some things like you know when you're reading about things in, in the paper or online and on media going that particular incident happened there what could that mean for us how could that affect us? If we were in that situation, could we ever be attacked like that? Because I think often when we're seeing these things play out in the media, things like cyber, again, we look at that and go, well, that's not me, or thank God that's not me. You know, that's, you know, there's often some finger pointing or there's some kind of, you know, a, um, a great relief that we're not the ones who are in that situation. But instead of just kind of looking at it that way, thinking, how would we deal with that situation? How could that, you know, what could that particular trend or issue mean for us? And then it changes the conversation in your own organisation and you're a little more ready for when that particular attack might hit. And just thinking again about the need to have a diverse range of voices around the board table, and I know it's an ongoing challenge for boards, you know, this question of how do you make sure that you've got a diverse range of voices and experience? And, and not only 
how do you make sure you've got a diverse range of voices and experiences now, but for the needs of the organization tomorrow and next year and in, in the next decade? I mean, particularly for small boards and smaller organizations, it's really hard. And do you have any advice for for those boards about how they can maximize that sort of diversity of thought around their board table? I love that you said diversity of thought because that's what it is, right? We don't just want to sort of work in a Noah's Ark fashion and just recruit, you know, two of all sorts of things. And then we actually all have exactly the same qualifications, went to the same school, and we all think in exactly the same way. That's not going to fix your diversity of thought around the table. And it's not going to address, you know, issues of risk like we're talking about here. The first thing is, is do a really true and honest assessment about the skills you need around your board table. Uh, One of the ways that I've seen work really effectively for boards to do that is when they're looking at adding someone to the board, either increasing their board size or they're looking at perhaps taking on a future director, which is like an intern director who's there for 12 or 18 months. Uh, Because what we see is there's really truthful, honest, deep assessments about their skills matrix because no one's losing their seat, right? It's about, well, what are we missing here? If we're going to bring someone else on board, what would that look like? And that's a really good way to identify what skills you might desperately need going forward. The other thing with boards, of course, is that we don't serve forever. You know, one of the great things about boards is that we are there for a season, for our time, when the organisation strategically needs the skills that we can bring. So having board turnover, succession, looking out to the strategy and going, well, what's this, you know, the specific skill set that we need for that particular season of the organisation? is healthy and should be celebrated. Uh, So, you know, while management teams might be a a little more sticky and may stay for a longer period of time and people might work their way through the organisation, you know, it's quite common for for people to perhaps only spend six, no more than nine uh, years often on a board, bringing, you know, their skill set for the strategy at that particular time and thinking forward about the skills that you're going to need for the next season and building your board around the strategy should be a really cool part about what chairs and boards are thinking about for succession. What responsibility do you think a board has as a whole to renew itself? Oh, absolutely. I think the first thing is we have a responsibility to renew ourselves as humans, don't we? I mean, that's a continuous learning situation now. The the kind of days of knowing all the answers to all of the business and governance challenges you'll ever be faced with and just coming in and, you know, pontificating or providing judgment over those, they're long gone, right? I mean, it's such a nimble, agile, real-time environment now over the really difficult and tricky stuff. Management's got the stuff that's known, right? They'll get onto it. You can, you know, set them clear KPIs. They can get expertise in to do that stuff. So boards are left with the really tricky stuff now, the stuff where there's often not an answer and they're having to you know, make a judgment and, and, and make some choices between, you know, between some situations or, or particular options. And that requires continuous learning because we're not going to likely know the answer. So boards do need to be thinking about that continual refreshment, renewal, development, and making sure that they are adding value. Yeah, and one of the things that really challenges me when I'm thinking about these things, I was in a a conversation late last week, it was actually about infrastructure, not about governance at all. And someone made the point that one of the defining features of all New Zealand organisations is that they're resource constrained. Um, And boards are resource constrained. And so 
bringing us back to the preparing for the unknown, you know, a board could spend days and days and days in a strategy meeting navel-gazing about what might happen in the future. And it seems to me that one of the important roles that needs to be brought, one of the important skills that needs to be brought to the board is that kind of sorting hat function. (laughs) How do we sort, given what we've got and the time that we've got, what we really need to focus on? I loved your description you had earlier about the what and the how. So, I mean, I think gone are the days of doing really long-term strategic plans. I haven't heard of anyone doing a sort of 10 or 20-year strategic plan. Frankly, on infrastructure, we could do with more of that in New Zealand, but that's a whole other discussion point. Um, 50, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, in terms of some longer-term investment from that perspective. But for organisations themselves, those longer-term strategic plans, the world's changing so fast now, and it's as much a plan about how we will respond. So instead of the, the kind of what, where it was, you know, set in paper, set in stone, we put it in the drawer and that was the plan we were driving towards for the next 10 or 15 years. But, you know, we we're much more real time and, and nimble, even our large corporates. And we've seen that not only from the COVID experience, but the way that they've had to respond to post-COVID. That's been just as difficult in terms of the challenges uh, that they've been facing. Who knew that we were going to have, you know, a Ukraine situation thrown in and the impact that was going to have on supply chains, et cetera. Very few of us probably had that on our risk register. Uh, so, you know, in order to be able to address the the how, then you've got to have build that agility, be doing that wider scanning. And we just did a, as part of the Global Network of Directors Institutes, the GNDI, which is like the IODs globally around the world. There's, you know, 24 countries, there's over 150,000 directors represented. We just did a survey on a biennial survey and the clear skills that are coming through for the next three to five years is around cyber, it is around geopolitical, it's around stakeholders, and it's around environmental, social, and governance, ESG issues. They all take agility, they all address systemic risk issues, and they're all interconnected. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And they're all things that I can remember having conversations in the last month on what's that I'm on. Is there something also in a real understanding of who you are as an organization and where you are as an organization, right? Because if you're a technology startup, you can move fast and break things. But if you're a lifelines utility, you can't. And you need to remember who you are when you're having those kinds of discussions. You might be the person, the organization that's causing the disruption in an industry, and that has a different set of challenges than if you are the legacy corporation in that space and, and it's you that's being disrupted. Those situations can throw up different challenges for different boards. Yeah, and that's why we, it's really important that your board reflects the organization strategy and your risk profile and what you're looking for. Because if you are in uh, an essential service that the entire country is relying on, For example, you're running the 111 service. I don't want a run fast and break things kind of approach when I'm trying to ring the police or the fire or ambulance for emergency support, right? So so you need to understand what's the risk profile and operating environment for your particular environment. That comes again to the how. How will we operate in those environments? What is our risk appetite? What is our approach? And that then goes again into what's the board and the culture and the you know the management that we have around that 
And that's why being a director is not a generic job. We can't just cut and paste you onto any board anywhere and any director will do. It is really important that they've got the right skills, you know, the right attributes for that particular organisation, and they're going to be the right fit for that particular organisation. So, yeah, making sure you get a match of all of those things will reflect on how you approach risk. And maybe just taking that now and going down even more to an even more tactical level in terms of how you operate as a board to make sure those issues bubble up. In that balance between governance and management, what should boards be doing to drive what's coming to them on that, the unknown unknowns? The big thing, and it sounds a little twee, but it's actually be prepared. So have done some planning about what your um, current risk environment is, what those emerging risks could be, um, and then be prepared for how your organisation might respond to some of those risks. So for example, in some areas, have you done a desktop exercise with regards to cyber? How recently have you done it? How deeply did you test? Because it's not about testing the specifics of your policy or your guidelines, because under risk conditions, very few people will go and read, you know, the 30 chapter um, crisis management guide. If it's not in muscle memory and it's not from a values perspective that I know how to make judgment within some guardrails and with some guidelines and delegations, uh, then you're going to struggle under the time pressures that you're going to be under crisis management. Have you done some desktop um, in terms of if you had to close your office we're all used to that now. I remember just before COVID, we closed the office as a practice run in the event that we were all going to be sent home. And it was a huge task, huge task yeah. for us. Now, if you said to me that, hey, there's been an earthquake or the, you know, there's been a, a water main failure or something and we can't come into the office for a week, we could turn on a dime, as the Americans would say, to be able to do that. We wouldn't even blink because we've got muscle memory to do that. So being prepared and testing some of those things, and it will also flush out actually some of the challenges and questions where things aren't clear. Maybe you don't have some delegations in place. Maybe you don't have the phone numbers for people. If the system goes down, you don't even know who to call. Some of those things get flushed out when you practice stuff, and that's, that's got to be your, the, the fundamental step. Sit down, have that conversation and go, what would we do here? It's excellent advice. The only thing I'd add to that, and it is an yes end, is have someone from the outside involved yes. in those discussions. You've got to yep. have someone who can be the sand in the oyster on, on those yep. discussions because otherwise, frankly, I'm not sure what the rating of this podcast is, you start believing your own bullshit and yeah. you believe your ability to respond to things and just having someone saying, well, what if that wasn't working? Or what if you couldn't do that? really does drive those discussions. And yeah, couple... I completely, completely agree. Just because I think there's a real danger of confirmation bias, isn't there? We go looking to confirm. We have confidence in ourselves, confidence in our teams. Uh, so there's a real confirmation. One of the things that, that played through for me on that point, really obviously recently, we did the survey, director sentiment survey, and asked the uh, directors here in New Zealand about economic performance. 80% of them said that economic performance for 2023 was going to decline significantly, yet 80% of them also said that economic performance in their own organisations was going to be good or better in the next 12 months. So both those things can't be true. You know, on one hand, we think we're okay because we're close to the business, we understand it, and we have optimism bias, but we think everyone else is terrible. The same things are true for crisis response. 
That's absolutely right. I did want to touch on one thing before we wrap, which is what happens when it really does all go wrong and you're sitting on a board and you've lost faith now in the management and their ability to respond. And that's a tough position to be in, but we've all seen that. What do you do as a board at that point? Honest conversations always. From a position of support and encouragement, from a position of is this a capability and capacity issue? Have we have, have we given them enough resources to be able to deal with this issue? Can we guide and support and coach through this? Is this actually going to be the making of the organization or the making of these managers? You know, a number of board chairs that I know, for example, say they wouldn't rec- they wouldn't hire a CEO unless they've got a few scars on their back because actually those scars will really be valuable the next time that crisis rolls around. So what's that saying? Don't waste a crisis. Maybe this is, you know, you can write the current crisis costs off to training and development for next time and you you have a better team positioned. But ultimately, if you can't trust the organisation, you know, to be able to respond well in these situations from a perspective of values, from a perspective of honesty and communication, and from a perspective of being honest about being able to have to put their hand up and say, we're struggling, then you will have to address that. And ultimately, that comes down to the decisions you make about your CEO and you know the decisions you make from there. <laughs> now, I was going to ask you, KP, what your one piece of advice was for organisations in, in crisis, but I think we've just got it, which is honest conversations always. Absolutely. I think that's a, a lovely place to end. So thank you very much for your time, KP. This has been a fascinating discussion and I think you and I could probably go on for another hour or two. But thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic. Thank you.